Since 2009, SharesPost has been a leader in the secondary market for private company shares. With its network of 44,000 accredited investors and 150,000 members, SharesPost has transacted in more than 200 companies. Whether you're an investor or a shareholder looking for liquidity, SharesPost has a solution for you. Visit us at SharesPost.com. Coming up on Equity, more on Spotify's anti-IPO experiment, DocuSign shares more financials, MoBike gets acquired for $2.7 billion, and Jump Bikes also might get acquired. Welcome to Equity. I'm TechCrunch's Katie Roof. My colleague Matthew Lindley is off today, joined by Crunchbase News Editor-in-Chief Alex Wilhelm. Good morning. And our special guest today is Dave Welsh, who's Head of Growth Equity at KKR. He does venture capital, not private equity, but... <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you, Katie. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. distinction, if you will. Different pools of money, different goals. That's right. Similar, but different. We want to talk about Spotify. We've yes. talked about that a bit, but it's really interesting because they turned the IPO process on its head and have had moderate success. But bankers are not upset about it. People think they were trying to stick it to the bankers, but as we talked about in the last episode, they actually still paid bankers did, yeah. to do less work. Yeah. So it wasn't, it was actually good for bankers, <laughs> but, the, and they didn't raise money. However, uh, their stock is is trading high, partly because there are less shares being sold than some IPOs, would have we would have seen with some IPOs. Uh, but, um, but, you know, their valuation is incredible. It's, it's uh, significantly higher than what it had been trading in the private markets. At one point, it was even as high as like $30 billion. It's gone down since then. But it's definitely a, a success so far in terms of that. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think the thing that I would say is there's sort of two ways of, of looking at it. one is Spotify the business and and how is it doing and which seems to be doing well. I mean, obviously people know that there's a huge market and and uh, lots of opportunity and challenges there. But if you look at it sort of in terms of the offering, um, I I think people are making a little more to do with this than it really is that it was a direct offering. This is a pretty unique situation. A company that was very large. Uh, already trading lots of shares in the private market. So you had a valuation that was sort of set in a really, really well-known brand. And so it could come out and didn't need a lot of that. I think the piece that people probably don't recognize, the one big piece that banks do do other than just take a fee at an IPO is do the stabilization of the stock potentially right. after. Right. And that's and not- And that's he- the green show. That's show right. That and about. beyond, they actually have trading desks that will actually help stabilize the stock even after. And so here, you know, you've got a company that's large enough and has potentially enough float. I mean, it's not floating a lot now, but there's no lockup on these shares. So effectively, a very big majority of the shares could trade. So you've got enough float that there could, you know, be a lot of trading, but the stable, uh, the market's been pretty stable around it so far, and so the role that the banks could play really hasn't been, um, you know, as relevant. I could tell you on a in in a direct listing where there was a lot of volatility on a stock, that role that the banks play could actually be a lot more meaningful. So I I would be surprised if a lot of companies tried to go this route just based on you know the Spotify at least success of getting it placed. I mean, money is good too, right? Like, why wouldn't you want money? Why wouldn't you want to raise money? I mean, even yeah. if you have money. Yeah. They can now do a huge follow-on, though. I mean, they, they could do they, secondary. Their, yeah, their, their valuation's gigantic. Why not drop a billion dollars in shares a year from now and pick up the cash they could have picked up anyways? But then I asked the question, why didn't you do that originally? It's a pricing question, but I mean, that's 
yeah. it's all art and magic in IPOs. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And I, and I think in in some ways, you know, there there were some, you know, and I don't want to get into the esoterics. There were some securities held by Dragoneer and some other people that actually were going to have an effect if they didn't get public one way or another. And so they wound up resolving that ahead of time. But that was one of the motivations originally. It, that they the wound up, but they wound up sorting that out ahead of time. They did. Although there's actually a, actually a very like closed esoteric clause that could allow them if they didn't go to actually come back and there was actually more shares that could have been issued. They could have oh, wow. they could have they could have unrolled that convert that they did. And okay. that would have put them actually back into the same place okay, they so would have been. So that's that interesting. Was, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was sort of way deep buried in there. You know, was was that notion? So that was still a driver, in my opinion, at some level. And that's yeah, why you never had have heard, bankers over. Um, so uh, um, a little over a year ago, Ingrid London, I, Ingrid London, and I reported that Spotify wasn't able to go public last year. They were realizing they weren't ready for an IPO, and it partly had to do with these debt terms that they had. So, I mean, it sounds like they devised a clever scenario. Uh, but, you know, they didn't say that that it was about that. What the company claims yeah, it was about, <laughs> insists that it's about, is like democracy, like a democratic <laughs> process. Um, you know, because the IPO process, normally um, you have to raise you raise money, but it's not from retail investors. It's usually institutional investors and high net worth individuals that are connected with the banks. So it's not a fair process per se, but they do that to help stabilize the stock and help. Um, well, the idea is that those people are going to help hold it longer. Yeah, right. I mean, and I think that there is some truth in that, right? If you get the right institutional holders, it can create a long term you know, stability for the stock. And and I don't want to say that the reason, you know, the driving reason was this, you know, sort of vehicle I talked about, this debt vehicle. I think there was legitimacy that they wanted to have the stock held by more people. I think legitimately they wanted to give their employees some opportunity to be able to have some liquidity. Many of them have been in it for a long time. Um, You know, that said, there was a pretty big liquid market for this on the private side of things before the IPO. So there was some other ways for people to get a lot of the benefits that they're talking about. So I think there were some other underlying driving factors as to why they they went public. How much more willing was Spotify to let its uh, employees sell their stocks in the private markets compared to average? You know, I you know wish I could tell you. I don't know for sure. All well, I compared can compared to Uber, they're definitely well, yeah, a lot yeah. better about that. Other yeah. Ends of the spectrum. yeah, right, right, exactly. So all I can say is a lot seem to be trading, mm-hmm. and so I don't know. I'm not in side, you know, sort of Spotify to be able to tell you that management was specifically saying it's okay, but they clearly weren't trying to put up the hurdles that some of the other firms have, you know, done or started to do. Spotify has been one of the hottest trades in the pre-IPO markets for a while now, according to people I know in the secondaries market. And so I'd been hearing about that for a while. But obviously, with secondaries, it trades at a lot of different prices. And uh, it's hard to get intel into exactly where people are buying and selling at. And so it they did it sort of like a second secondary. But now that it's public, you know that you're buying and selling it at a comparable price to where others are at. So it's, it's like an improved... Secondary. I mean, it's it's trading as a stock. I mean, it's on the stock market now. But that was the idea. Spotify claimed that they were trying to make it just like the pre-IPO trading. Right. More transparency and give people confidence that what they're actually trading at is, is what the market is you and, know, sort of valuing it and at. And that's what's happened. So <clears throat> this morning, Matt Levine in uh, Money Stuff, the best, uh, my favorite newsletter of all time, um, wrote that the trading range for Spotify shares has dramatically tightened post-direct listing compared to its private market trading beforehand. So now its employees not only have 
easier access to liquidity. They also have a much clearer price. And so they know they're probably going to get a much more reasonable uh, dollar amount per share for their equity they've accreted. So I, I think that's something that I didn't really realize was going to happen before the truck listing. Um, in fact, I probably would have guessed there would be even more volatility, again, proving what I know. Um, but certainly, you know, they went from like a, a 50 to 130 range in the first couple of months of this year to like a 135 to 170, which is a much smaller you know, uh, variance range. That's right. And, you know, and part of it is because in this, you know, private or pre-IPO trading market, there's lots of different avenues for people to try to get stocks, some of which the people can give people, you know, some reasonably good visibility into the company and its performance and other avenues, which frankly, people buy wholly just on the name. And so that clearly is going to cause some disparity in the pricing because, uh, assumably, if you all you get is the name and you don't have all the, you know, actual financial information or at least decent visibility into it, you're going to be a little more uh, you know, less informed in the way that you would buy and, and price the the stock. So. Right. And uh, speaking of uh, transparency into numbers, uh, <laughs> DocuSign gave us a bunch more this week. Um, if you recall from a little bit ago, DocuSign dropped its S1 and then didn't have the last 14 months of financial performance in it. So we were all a bit confused and we were looking back to kind of its fiscal year ending January uh, 2017. Well, now we have the numbers from what it's essentially calendar 2017, or what I'm going to call their fiscal 2018. That's probably how it's going to be. So here is uh, the top line really quick. In their um, in their most recent year, they had revenue of $518.5 million, up from 381.5, which is a gain of about 36%, give or take. Um, gross profit grew to over $400 million by a smidge, to be fair. And then um, on an operating basis, <clears throat> the company lost $116 million in the preceding fiscal year, down to 50 call it 52. Um, and that's a huge improvement. So more revenue, more gross profit, smaller losses, and a reasonable growth rate given their scale. And also critically, in their most recent quarter, if you look at their quarter-by-quarter quarter results, they had a very, very modest uh, net loss on a decent revenue base. So the health we were hoping to see uh, in that kind of mysterious original S1 has come to bear. And I'm curious what we think about uh, their prospects. Well, I mean, just starting at the top, I love the company. Um, I think there was a lot of question years ago as to whether or not someone could really dominate this space and whether there's enough differentiation in the product. And you know, I think we've all come to see, I, in, certainly in my business, you know, I get, quote, docu-signed something, you know, probably <laughs> daily now, right? And um, and it's become pretty clear that better it's- Better than it, faxing. Yeah, it's certainly better than faxing. Uh, you can do it from just about anywhere. And so, uh, you know, I think they've clearly, you know, set a standard, which is incredible. And I, But I agree with you. I think some of the questions around DocuSign were, do they have a business model because they were spending quite a bit in sales and marketing and other areas that could scale you know, to an in- interesting level? I think these results show us they do and show us that they're focused on it and show us that they actually now are you know, in this mode where they want to you know, build a business that's not just a great uh, you know, broad name, but actually can be a great investment, which means you better make money at some point. So I think, um, look, I, I really like the business. I think it's very sticky and, uh, and I think it will be a really interesting IPO. I think it will come out and do well. I mean, top line growing and losses narrowing, that looks good. I think the stock market likes that. That usually goes well. I mean, we saw something similar with Dropbox to a certain extent, and Dropbox has done pretty well. So, um, I think, yeah, I think their financials are in a good spot. It took a long time for them to get there. <laughs> They've been around for they like have. 15 years, but they did it. Yeah. It's coming. It's almost here. Yeah. Now I'm really curious what they're going to be worth because now that uh, now that we have all the new numbers, everyone has to rerun their math and try to figure out at this growth rate, at that level of subscription revenue, at that dollar amount, at that maturity point, what's it worth? And given the huge range of revenue multiples we've seen, uh, you know, Atlassian at 17, Dropbox at 11, Box at six. I mean, you kind of get to play uh, pin the. 
pin the molt on the donkey or not as work. You know what I mean? <laughs> I you, do know what you mean. Yeah, you put a blindfold on and you it, guess. It's a little tough. Uh, you know, again, though, I think this is one of those names. People know it well. Definitely people in the financial markets know it well. And so the buy side guys that are out there will know this name. It's, you know, it is enterprise, I guess, but it has enterprise with a really big consumer touch on it. Uh, so I think it really depends. I mean, if people see this as it's going to be the category leader, it's going to sustain at that level, I think you could see the thing really get valued high and really get one of those popped multiples, almost like a combo enterprise consumer thing. I think if people take a different slant on it and say, geez, eventually maybe an Adobe or somebody else is going to really try to make a move in this and try to put a competitive product and this starts to get priced you know, uh, much more um, you know, kind of competitively with squeezing margins – that's kind of the downside scenario. But I frankly think even in the downside scenario, given the results that we just saw, I think this thing still gets priced pretty well. I think it gets it gets priced, you know, nicely is, is my guess. I mean Adobe owns Ecosign, right? They and do. HelloSign yeah. is in the well, market. Jason Lemkin, who was the first guest on our show ever, yeah. Equity, he sold that to Adobe a while back. But Which is why he has much nicer suit jackets than I do. Um, but, <laughs> he but, didn't he could have sold it for more if he had waited. I think he, that's what it And was. the interesting thing is they really have not done that much with it. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. which is the thing that's sort of surprising. I mean, when they sold, I, you know, uh, I mentioned before and everyone has to admit, I passed on DocuSign a couple of times. <laughs> Shame on me. How many times yeah, was that? Exactly. I think it was three no, is I what I told you. I appreciate the honesty <laughs> right. because I'm sure we've had many people on yeah. the show that didn't confess to these right. moments. So, so one of the things I thought, though, when I was looking at it was it did feel like there could be lots of other competitors. And then they sold, you know, um, EchoSign to, to Adobe. And I thought, there you go. Right, so here it comes. Right, I was right. It's going to be vindication. <laughs> DocuSign's going to go down, and, and it obviously didn't. And I did. Rooting against your friends, yeah, exactly. Huh? <laughs> and uh, and and yet Adobe really hasn't done that much with it. You know, they have a product. It's out there. I see it occasionally, but it's really clearly nothing like you know the DocuSign. There's something um, called HelloSign. There's others. They yeah. exist. But I think it's just true in g- enterprise in general. It's like once you find something that works, even if there's another product that may be slightly better, they don't want to have to change everything right. and introduce a new product to their workforce. And, yeah. and so customer retention tends to be high as long as there aren't significant problems. No, agreed. And, and they did a really good job of, of something which they had talked about when I looked at it early, but I wasn't sure. They got the law firms Ooh, to actually get engaged with it. And so the law firms all use it and all of their clients. And so that's really become the you know thing that sort of pinned them in. Because once you have the law firms using it, all the businesses, it's really hard to shift out. Lawyers love DocuSign. Yeah. Lawyers so. love to make things more complicated. <laughs> um, now, this it's... is not an ad for DocuSign, by <laughs> no. the way. We yeah. should say something exactly. negative. <laughs> I, I, I got um, it. Well, I mean, they're losing money and they've been around for a long time. There well, here's, here's a scale point. So we mentioned HelloSign, which is a competitor. So HelloSign has raised $16 million to date. In aggregate, uh, in the last, the most recent quarter, DocuSign spent seventy-five million just on sales and marketing. Right. Um, yep, there's a growth differential right there. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, we'll have to see. I don't know if companies get a, a negative penalty for uh, for being old. But this one can almost drive. Well, I mean, VCs get a negative penalty for it being old if it didn't <laughs> if it didn't finish in time for their fund. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because they invest on these ten-year horizons, although usually you can extend it a little longer, but you know, some VCs probably sold some of their position 
to to uh, in the secondary market yeah. LP expectations. Yeah, yeah that's right. I'm told the best funds don't get that kind of pressure, so I hear. <laughs> but anyway, that sounds like some VC trash talk after a 15 Manhattan. Moving on to other big dollars, though, uh, the most surprising news out this week, from my perspective, was the Mobike deal. Yeah. Now, if you haven't been paying a lot of attention to the Chinese startup market, first start. Uh, but uh, there's been kind of a, a proxy war between Tencent and Alibaba via two companies called Mobike and Ofo. I hope I'm not really butchering those. Um, no. And they're no, they're, right. they're bike sharing companies, and um, these bike sharing companies have raised astronomical amounts of money. Um, so, for example, Mobike, which was bought by uh, Meituan this week, uh, raised over $900 million for bike sharing. Now, two things. One, that's nuts. Two, it's not that nuts. Uh, it's nuts because it's that much money for bike sharing. But two, you have to buy a lot of bikes. So, you have much higher capital costs than you do in a lot of the startup businesses. But uh, Mobike got sold for apparently $2.7 billion this week. Um, to John Russell on our team is all over the news, too. He, he said something ahead of time. So Yeah, yeah. John Russell, by the way, is a TC reporter who has probably the best head on his shoulders for covering the Asia technology world in general. I recommend uh, just him. I can't say enough good things about him. Um, but the the here's the here's where this gets weird. So first of all, X of two point seven billion, three X multiple on invested capital, not that bad for a company that we all thought was gonna die, frankly. Um but uh, it was kind of bought in house, so they have a similar. They have the same investor, and so when you share an investor, and the other company that buys you took money from your chief investor, the question then becomes: How confident are you in the health of the respective businesses? So, ten cent money is at play here. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, I heard that SoftBank um, and Didi tried to actually invest in Mobike too, and ten cent actually blocked it. Um, so that's actually oh, wow. a different, yeah. So because they do have a blocking right for sure. So I think you're right. There's sort of two techs going on. On here, right? The the upper level text, which is bike share, sort of there. Very interesting, sort of Asian phenomenon. We can talk a little later about U.S. phenomenon. We, we've actually our firm has played it a little bit um, in the uh, Indonesian market with Gojek, which does scooters. But same idea, you know, it's a very well established um, you know way of transportation in those markets. So big play. Really, really a land share game right now. So you've got Ofo, you've got um, Mobike, you've got uh, DD is now in it, and then you've got like sixty other honestly players in China alone trying to play in this market. They have priced it down to almost nothing. I mean, I think it's about fifteen cents for a twenty-minute ride or thirty-minute ride over there now, which is clearly money losing. I mean, there's no way that they can do that with their capital cost. So, um, but they economies of scale, though. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's a lot of people yeah, in China. There are a lot of people, but eventually you've got to make the you know two pieces has come to, to together. So but but I, so I think it's very interesting from just that standpoint that you've got this, you know, you know very a lot of capital going in to try and um, you know play that ecosystem. I think the more interesting text here is the Alibaba Tencent um, and in some ways now SoftBank, you know, sort of dynamic of them trying to really own almost every vertical, not just in China. This is now going across Indonesia in and uh, in all of Southeast Asia really. And so, how they're playing these, and exactly what dollars are being spent as real investment, as you said, versus what dollars are being spent just to make sure they own a category. I think those are really good questions that um, you know are, are interesting and are playing out real time across like you know four or five, six different categories. Well, China's into bikes, so it's good to be in the better bikes business, right? Yeah. I mean, when I was in in China last year, I went 
to Shenzhen for an event. Uh, TechCrunch partners with TechNode, and we have events in China. And all people were talking about was like Mobike, 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 Ofo, whatever. I mean, it was just it was like the only thing I recognized because I didn't understand any of the languages, but I heard those names a lot. Um, and yeah, so I mean, it definitely bikes are, are hot there. But now there's a question: Are bikes going to be hot here in the U.S.? Bikes and um, scooters. So so many scooters. So there is a company that we like try not to talk to, talk about, but we end up talking about them every week because they always have some sort of news. And it is, starts with you, okay? Uber. Uh, they sources, multiple sources tell me they um, have offered jump bikes, an e-bike here that they partner with, uh, an acquisition offer of. Over 100 million. I don't know how much more than 100 million, but I know that it's more than that. And at the same time, they have really well known VCs like Mike Moritz, who works at Sequoia. Um, he's kind of a legend here in, in venture capital in Silicon Valley. Uh, he's also trying to invest, and others are trying to invest. It's a very hot deal to get in, and everyone is competing. To either, and Jump is deciding. Alex is looking at me like I'm crazy. But so Jump is deciding either are they going to sell to Uber or are they going to take VC money? And they keep, they're having trouble deciding, according to sources, because when they make a decision, someone else will come around and offer something better. <laughs> so, Jump is hot. Why? Everyone wants Jump. Yeah. Why? That, that's what I wanted to ask. I wanted to so, not interrupt your very good paragraph. But, but why? 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 Why, why? why? why do so, we believe? So, I've seen like six first total. First of all, there's an, well, you, clearly you haven't been around uh the well, South Park area in San no. Francisco very much recently. No, being... I have social skills, so I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Now you're like on Market Street, so you're moving up in the world. But um, so they have an integration with Uber actually at the moment, and you can go to the app in San Francisco and DC, and you can click on bikes, and you can find the nearest bike. They don't have to dock these bikes, and you can they can be unlocked with a pin. And it's really cheap. Um, you pay like $2 every 30 minutes. And I guess it must be doing well. They must have really good numbers to show for that because clearly some smart people or successful people are trying to um, get in on the deal. So, yeah, you know, so, so I, look, I think. Uh, it's early, very early to, to, to claim whether. I doubt they have a lot of numbers behind that yet. Um, I think there's a lot of speculation as to where the bike market, e, you know, e-bike market can go. Um, I think it's a real question mark in my mind. I mean, I, I think the, you know, unlike Asia that we just talked about, where there is a history of these types of, you know, th- bikes and scooters being really predominant ways of transportation here, it's new. And it's pretty isolated. You know, San Francisco, Seattle, a couple other towns have started to take it. I personally really wonder whether or not this is going to be a big form of, you know, kind of mass transportation over time, uh, just the way the demographic of U.S. cities is laid out. I mean, I, I applaud Uber and the thought of how might we extend the offering that we have to give people a way to, you know, sort of utilize transportation services everywhere. Um, I also question it a little bit, and we are investors in Lyft, so I will give that disclosure. Uh, th- <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> thank um, you for being honest. Yes, honest. Uh, <laughs> but I do question it, and, and one of the things that we've questioned a lot about Uber's focus and whether or not this is another sort of distraction and focus for them, you know, as opposed to, you know, it's really getting back to the core of what they want to deliver on, um, you know, which everybody know. I mean, this is out there in public news. Lyft's mantra is we're going to be very focused on core, you know, sort of 
rideshare U.S. North America. Um, so um, yeah, but <clears throat> my fear is with these these bikes, uh, especially in the U.S. market where prices are as low as we've mentioned. Um, do will people ever stick around once the economics begin to make more sense? Because one thing that Uber and I think even Lyft have struggled with over time is they cut prices, they grew like hell. They thought the TAM was going to be huge in the North American market, and now at a at a more kind of like functional price point, there may be a smaller market out there than they thought. And so these bikes that are growing pretty quickly, um, I wonder if people are going to get attracted to them at kind of discounted prices to draw initial markets, and then maybe less attracted to them over time when they cost more. Back to that kind of positive unit economics level. Well, there is a big market opportunity for bikes or TAM, as the finance folks like to say. But in these are electric bikes, so they make them, it makes it better than bikes. So, I mean, obviously there's a market opportunity for better bikes, but I don't know what the barriers to entry are here. I mean, you know, are there other better bikes in the works that may overtake Jump? Um, what if, you know, there's various scenarios that could play out here. What if they turn down the Uber deal and then Uber kills their partnership with them? And that's bad. So, yes. I mean, you know, there's a lot of... Can't imagine Uber would do that. <laughs> we have no history of chicanery. Uber's, nice. Uber's nice now, so they're not going to do that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, but I mean, there's a lot of different things that could go right, but there's also a lot of things that could go wrong. But I guess, I guess in general, that's how venture investments are. It's a roll of the dice. If you could see it going really right, then you invest. Yeah, Katie, I mean, that's that's it, right? And that's why I said it's early, and I think mm-hmm. it's fair. I mean, obviously, who am I to say Mike Moritz doesn't have, like, an amazing track record and ability to see things? <laughs> now, to be fair, Mike, among every other venture capitalist out there, has had his share of successes, some really big, and had his share of things that didn't go where he thought they were going to. I would say, you know, this category is in that category of emerging, interesting, really big, you know, potential change in the way people, you know, might use transportation. Personally, I sort of have some doubts just to how it's going to play out and whether it will become as mass as people think. But that's why people are allowed to put bets on different companies. Yeah. And he's certainly done a great job on the ones that he's done. So I'm going to take a Lime scooter after this for the first time. Lime bike scooter. Well, lime, but they're called Lime bike, but they're scooters. Right. But, uh, but that confuses me, too. Lime, uh, but, I'm going to take a Lime bike scooter. Uh, hopefully. Scooters? No, scooters. <laughs> About, I think it was a week ago, Byron was in from Bessemer. Right, right. And, right. He was um, on our pod. Right, he was on the pod. And uh, I was leaving the building to go back to my office. And, and he took a scooter. And he took a scooter. And so obviously he's like, this is my scooter. And I'm like, well, give me that. So I hopped <laughs> on. It was a bird. And I hopped. He was like, you know, you push that. Bird it ma- scooter. It makes go. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I pushed that and off we went. It was so much fun. I hate to be positive and nice to a startup, but holy hell, I had a good time. <laughs> and so like today I was like, do I take the bus back to the office? Do I fight through the traffic? I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go see if there's a scooter around. So I will report back, maybe from the grave. Um, the next time that I'm here, that depending on if point. I actually make it or not back to the office. But I'm going to try, and this is what we call on-the-ground reporting. I haven't <laughs> taken one yet, but I, my next meeting's about a block away, and I'm thinking You're of just thinking about doing, <laughs> doing a scooter. Well, I walked two blocks here, and I almost tripped on three of them. So I can tell yeah. you, they're definitely available and <laughs> oh, around. Yeah, they're, they're definitely, yeah, <laughs> in this area, Soma, there's a lot of them. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, actually, there was like a tweet exchange this week where my friend uh, Julie, who worked, Julie Verhage, who works at uh, Bloomberg in New York, she tweeted that in, in New York, the first sign of spring is kids on scooters. And I said, in San Francisco, it's VCs on scooters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was trying to think like the guys in New York with their suits and everything else jumping on a 
you know, whether it's a scooter or, you know, whether it's a jump bike or it seems a little. So there are probably some demographic cities where it might work. There are others where it pretty clearly feels like it wouldn't. So. I mean, Bird has raised, Bird, one of the scooter companies that is now recently launching SF, has raised $115 million. And I believe that Line Bike has raised like 120 or 130. Right. That, that, is, that is an so ocean of far. capital. So, it, <laughs> so far. Katie's completely right. By <laughs> These the time are capital intensive out, businesses. And that's the thing is they're going to have to raise a lot of money. It's, it's more than a roll of the dice in these scenarios. It's a big roll of the dice because you really have to um, go big or go home. Or yeah. you may just accidentally have bought your VC firm a lifetime supply of scooters. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Every one of their family members and extended will have that as a Christmas gift for the it's, next it's, uh, not even, it's not even that much of a joke. If you Google Blue Go-Go, um, like leftover bikes, Blue Go-Go was a competitor to Ofo and Mobike in China that shut down and they had like tens of thousands of bikes which are now in kind of like like long rows in certain abandoned lots and you can just look at these almost from the satellite images. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah, yeah. so many of them. Um, so don't do that. Well, by the way, I mean, one of the things, not jumping back to the Chinese market, they are really concerned with the litter of these bikes. Like, they literally have these bikes breaking down on the road and starting to stack up and literally becoming an issue. So there is this issue as it really Broken bikes. Broken bikes getting in the way of foot traffic. I mean, that's actually like a real thing over there now. Wow. Um, so, yeah. On that note, thanks for tuning in. Come back next week. All right, everyone. We want to say a special thanks to our producer, TechCrunch's own Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickavet. Thank you to Katie Roof. Thank you to Matthew Lindley. And thank you to you for leaving us that five-star iTunes review. That's Equity. We'll see you all next Friday. 